Lord, thank you that you love us. Thank you for um, the opportunity to come and worship you this morning through song, uh, through giving uh, gifts, Lord, and as well through listening to your word. Um, Father, in a group this big, the size of people this big, Lord, there's a lot of a lot of different things going on in our lives, Lord, that um, we're worried about or we have fear or doubt. Or maybe, Lord, even things we're struggling with, we're ashamed of. Or maybe just heartbroken uh, over different things going on, to disaster or tragedy and illness. Um, so, Lord, really, I guess before we go any further, I pray that you'd help us to, to really lock in to... Um, uh, to what we're going to talk about this morning, that we're going to talk about you and uh, focus our attention on Christ alone. Um, I pray, Father, that the, the message you've given me would be um, adequate and sufficient to communicate what is important about you. And I pray that you just give me clarity of thought and um, just allow me to honor you. And uh, we pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so... If you've been with us, and you know we're doing the Solas studies, and uh, today I'm going to talk about Jesus Christ alone. And uh, I do not have one particular passage that we're going to camp out all day in. Um, I have several, 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 several passages we're going to look at. And so um, I challenge you to try to flip to every one of them, but you're probably not going to be able to. And so... I encourage you just to, to listen and follow along with the scripture that we're going to look at this morning. Um, but kind of my preface idea this morning is this simple question. Is Jesus enough? Is Jesus Christ alone, is he enough for you and I? Um, as I thought about uh, preparing this message and I thought about the demographic of people that I'm going to be speaking to, um, the chances are that the majority of you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God incarnate. You believe that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. Um, and secondarily, that you believe that his uh, work on the cross, uh, the death and resurrection, was effective and sufficient to save humanity from their sins. I would say the majority of you probably believe that. Probably in the high, upper 90 percentile somewhere. And so, this morning I decided not to come to try to convince you of those two things. Um, rather... I want to talk more about, since most of us believe this to be true, do we actually live it out? What is the practicality of making Jesus Christ alone look like in our life? Um, we say we're believers and we say we believe in the saving work of Christ. Is it actually evident in the way that we live our life? Um, this week was a great week for me to study solely um, the life of Christ, and to focus simply on him. And for me, honestly, I was telling my wife the other day, I came home after the third or fourth day, and I said, man, I just realized what an idiot I am <laughs> in comparison to, to Jesus. Um, realize how badly I need him and realize how great and awesome he really is. And so I hope this morning you walk away with, a, with just a renewed desire. I guess that's really my my desire for you, renewed desire to know Christ. And uh, I guess before we go any, any further, I'm going to ask you to do something that I, I don't know how often we ask from the pulpit, but would you honestly evaluate your own life? Um, 
instead of thinking, man, it's a great message for someone else to hear. I got somebody in my mind. Let it be a great message for you to hear. A message where you say, man, is this true in my life? How does this apply to me this morning? Because I know for me, as I've studied it and gone through it, and as I was honest with Christ, it was revealing for me. And um, it definitely was, was changing in my own life. So, is Jesus enough? Luke 6.46, I want to read this and kind of uh, talk about this for a minute, and then we're going we're gonna to get into really the four questions that I want us to consider this morning. Luke 6.46 says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and yet do not what I tell you to do? So he's saying, why is it that you call me Lord, Lord, Master? Why do you call me Master, but yet I tell you to do certain things, but you don't do them? I would say this is a problem for many of us. We proclaim Christ. Um, we say we love him. We say we want him. We say we want him to be our all in all. But the evidence of our life doesn't necessarily always consistently prove that. So what are some of the implications when we call Jesus Master, what are some of those implications? What is that? What are we saying? What do we mean by that? Well, number one, I would say that means that, hey, if he's going to be my master, then I fully surrendered my heart to him. I'm, my, my life is yours. My heart is yours, Lord. I'm going to submit fully to you. Secondly, we believe, we would, we would then believe that um, he's trustworthy. The perfection of his character, that Jesus has our best interests in mind. When you call Jesus Lord, you're acknowledging, Jesus, I trust you. Big or small, things that are unpredictable, things that are uncontrollable, I'm willing to trust you with those things. And thirdly, I would say that if, uh, if you've acknowledged Jesus as your master, then most likely somewhere along the line you have a genuine desire to actually obey him. Um, that, that needs to go without saying, right? If he's our master, if he's our Lord then I should have a genuine desire to actually obey the commandments that he's laid out in front of me. The, the second part of that says, uh, why don't you do what I tell you to do? You call upon me, Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I ask you to do. So why is it so often that we choose to ignore and disobey what God has asked for us to do, what Christ has laid out for us to do. Just a couple things that I was thinking about. I think, number one, maybe something crops up inside of us that says, I really don't want to be ruled by anyone. Man, I see this um, perfect example in my children's lives. They don't want to be ruled by anybody, ever. We don't want to be ruled by Christ. We say we do. Lord, Lord. Master, master, I kind of want to do my own thing. Oftentimes we have a greater desire to meet our own needs than to actually obey him. So our desire to serve self is greater than our desire to serve him. And sometimes I think maybe the reason why we don't obey him is because we really don't think that he means what he says. Um, you know, these five areas I'm pretty obedient. Letter of the law. This area over here that's kind of my thing I like to do, 
maybe Jesus doesn't care that much about that one. Maybe that's not that big of a deal. Maybe full obedience really isn't a big deal to him. So my contention this morning is that if you're here this morning and you're human, as Chris pointed out earlier, most likely there's something in your life that needs to be realigned with the perfection of Christ this morning. Most likely, the mantra of Christ alone in your life is not being lived out um, with excellence. Maybe that's a little bold of me to say that and accuse you to your face like that. But again, I'm asking you to be honest this morning. Be honest with you and with the Lord. Is Jesus enough for you this morning? So in order for Christ to be enough for us and for the idea of Christ alone to rule in our lives, we must be honest enough to evaluate ourselves by asking the following four questions. So this is what we're going to spend the rest of our time on this morning. I'll try to make you laugh at some point. I know that some people tell me, man, I love it when you preach. You're always so funny. Okay, I'll try to be funny. But more importantly, I want to try to be biblical today, honestly. Um... The burden of communicating Jesus is pretty heavy. And I know that for some of you, you're like, it's another Sunday, another day to come to church and feel good and sing. And those are great things. But man, either this is real or it's not. Either Jesus was a real man or he's a joke. Either living for Christ alone, apart from anything else, is important and of the highest importance in our life and highest priority or it's not. So hopefully you've come this morning uh, being willing to listen to his word and to be challenged. So, first question to consider. Do you know who you belong to? Do you know who you belong to? If you belong to Jesus Christ this morning, then these following things apply to you. Um, The reality is we come to church and we bring all kinds of stuff with us. Pastor Chris just talked about the idea of coming in prayer and presenting these things to the Lord and dropping these things at his feet. And as soon as the prayer is over and the amen has been said, we pick them back up and we run with them. This morning, most likely, some of you have come um, with a lot of hurt in your life, a lot of hurt in your heart. Some of you have have come um, angry at somebody, full of bitterness, maybe God this morning, full of disappointment. Uh, Your sin, your pocket sin, that thing that really eats away at your soul, has raised its head in your life this week, and so you've come feeling guilty, feeling ashamed of who you are. And more times than not, I know in my own life, I forget who I belong to. I get distracted by the things of the world. I get distracted by myself, (laughs) and I forget who I belong to. So if you know Christ this morning, this is true of you. Number one, you've been redeemed by the blood sacrifice of Christ. Ephesians 1, 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So this tells us, in Christ, you've been forgiven. So if you've come this morning and your heart is heavy and you feel guilty and you feel ashamed and you feel lost and you feel confused and you feel maybe that even God has abandoned you or You feel alone in your struggle of whatever the issue is, the sin issue is in particular. 
You've been forgiven because of what Christ has done on the cross, Christ alone. Come this morning, acknowledge your need for him, restore right relationship with him, and recognize that you belong to him and he's forgiven you. No matter what it is, he's forgiven you. But that forgiveness uh, doesn't come cheaply. It cost him himself, his life. So often I think that um, this idea of forgiveness, we, uh, we view it so cheaply. Man, God will forgive me, God will forgive me. Sometimes I look at Facebook and I look at what um, people that I know that I think, I think they have claimed Christ and I see what, what they so openly put on Facebook as far as like what their lifestyle represents and the way they're living. And it, it's like no big deal. It's almost like we're just supposed to kind of ignore that. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. What I'm trying to tell you is like take it serious and lament over that. But this morning, if you belong to Christ and you've acknowledged your need for him and you've asked for forgiveness in those areas where you're failing, you've been forgiven. That's something we should walk in victory in. Colossians 1, 13-14 says, For he's rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This teaches us that Jesus has put you in a new position. You've been rescued from a life of darkness to a life of hope and light in Christ. Well, if you belong to Christ, then you've been given a new identity. You've been made new. Romans 6, 6 says, Knowing that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. I remember the first time I came across this verse, I was, I think I was like a junior in college at Bible school. And I grew up in a Christian home and went to Christian school in Awana. I did all of that. And I had never heard this verse before. I'd never, I don't ever remember studying it or hearing it. But when that, when I understood, cognitively understood what this meant, and then in my heart understood what this meant, what this is saying is that in Christ, you and I don't have to wallow in our sin. We don't have to be subject, chained to making the same broken record mistakes over and over and over again. We don't have to. We don't have to. I think we choose to. I think we choose to. We run back to the garbage that God has freed us from, that Christ gave his life for. This is a promise that says the Spirit resides in you now and you don't have to live a sinful, broken life. You can choose Jesus. You can choose victory in Christ. You can choose what is right because you've been given a new identity. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. And behold, all things have become new. You have been given a new life, a new opportunity, a new direction to live differently. Ephesians 4.24 says, Put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. We've now been called to live rightly and separate from sin, in righteousness and holiness. Does your life reflect that? Right now, does your life, honest evaluation, does your life reflect God has called you to live rightly 
and he's called you to live separate from the garbage of the world. Well, third, if you belong to Christ, then this also should be true of you. You represent him and his message of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, 18-20 says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God's making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. If you belong to Christ, then our primary, one of our primary missions is to represent his name. To give the message of reconciliation. What does that mean? That means Jesus came. He came on behalf of the Father to tell the world there's hope. There's something more than living, just living in yourself, living for selfishness. There's something beyond this world. You and I, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if Christ alone reigns in your life, this is ours to give to other people. This is something we should be doing. We should be living out. Giving this message of reconciliation, not just by the way that we model our life, but by actually intentionally getting into conversations where we move into people's personal space and pop their bubble and tell them, about this great message of hope that we found in Christ. If Christ is your all in all this morning, this should be something that's a part of your life, representing him and his message. If Jesus is enough for us, then we will live in the reality that we do actually belong to him. Uh, Life is hard and sin is tempting And life is full of distractions. And there's a lot of things we can put our energy and our time into. Um, But man, honestly, like I, I don't want to forget who I am. And that, that to me, like that is the issue. That life pulls you away from what Christ has done in your life, how He's changed you, who He's made you to be. And so we come here on a, a Sunday morning to be reminded that. If Jesus is yours, man, our life has to look different. We cannot settle for the same apathetic, mediocre, casual Christian, broken record, sinful lifestyle. We can't. We have to live differently. And the thing is, we can live differently. By the power of his spirit and the knowledge of his word, we can be different. And we can honor him more consistently, I think, than we do. Question number two. Have you surrendered every aspect of your life to Jesus? The idea of surrender is to yield. To yield. Matthew 16, 24 says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Surrender involves denial of yourself. Um, so last time I spoke, I talked about how I was trying to get in shape, trying to lose weight. And uh, that's, like, hard. I don't know if you guys have discovered that. I I heard on the radio the other day that uh, we've officially become more fat as a a society than skinny. I just heard that on WCSG. I was like, well, that's cool. It's great. We're a big, fat country. It's awesome. 
You guys were like, that's, a, that's offensive to me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's what the scientists tell us. Denial, man. Like, I love donuts. My wife bought a bunch of donuts yesterday and brought them home. And I'm like, dude, I'm, I can't eat that donut, but I really want to eat that donut. I ate the donut. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. Trying to, trying to deny myself of the things that I want that I know aren't right. That's what we're called to do. Surrendering my life means, all right, Lord, I'm going to live a life where I deny those things that are unhealthy for me, those things that spiritually are going to destroy me, those cancers, if you will, those spiritual cancers that are going to eat away at my soul. Matthew 15, 8 says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Surrender involves not simply mental assent, but a wholehearted allegiance. It's not enough to recognize, okay, Jesus, yeah, yeah, I know who you are. Yeah, yeah, master, master. No, do, do you really believe that? Does you, is your heart really belong to him? That's all he's ever wanted. You know that? All the way through the Old Testament, from starting at the very beginning of the Old Testament, all the way through, the only thing God has ever wanted is the heart of mankind. That's it. I tell our students that all the time. You guys have heard me say that a million times, haven't you, in youth group? That's all he has ever wanted is wholehearted allegiance. Because when he has your heart, then he has everything. He has everything. And, and, and it's not just so he can control you and rule over you. It's because he knows that when he has your heart, he's able to fill you and give you what you really actually need. And that's the battle, isn't it? We're always um, replacing Christ with other things that we think are going to satisfy. But really, it's full surrender of our hearts to Christ that's going to satisfy. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Surrender involves giving your life to him, to his service, being willing to be used for his glory. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Surrender involves losing yourself to gain Christ. You know, John says, I must decrease so he can increase. What an what incredible statement. Man, that is, I'll be honest, I know it, it's different presenting this to you guys than it is receiving because you didn't sit for the last seven days and read page after page after page of conviction about how you need to be different because of this man named Jesus. But that idea, I must decrease so he can increase, man, that's phenomenal. And I rarely live that. And I have a, an inkling that maybe a lot of us rarely live that. Because we're so distracted with so many other things and we place so much value on so many other things that really aren't important. So, let's talk a, bit, a little bit of practicality in regards to this. Areas of our lives that we oftentimes do not surrender. Ready? Okay, here's where I'm going to offend you probably. But it's true. The areas where we really don't fully surrender, temptations and habitual sin. Oh, God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Okay, I'll never do this again, God. I'll, I promise it. And then 24 hours later, we're right back to... The same thing. How about our dreams and our aspirations? Dreams and aspirations and goals, those are good things, right? Like, 
You tell your kids to be successful, tell them to study, tell them to do well at sports, at band, whatever it is. Those are all great things. Uh, do our dreams and our aspirations, though, are they filtered through seeking out the will of God? Or because we're Americans and because we're rich and because we're free and because we can do whatever we want and because we have resources, I'm not really going to consult whether that's something God wants me to do or not. I'm just going to do it because I can. It might not even be wrong. Do you understand what I'm saying? It might not even be wrong. But is it what he's leading you to do? Is it really what he's leading you to do? As you've pursued his face and you've sought out Christ alone is my mantra. Christ alone is my, my heading, my navigational heading every single day of my life. Do these dreams and goals then come in line with Christ alone and where he's leading me? Or is it Christ, I'll follow him, but I also have things I really want to accomplish because they're, they're things I like to do. They're things that I think are important. Do you understand what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Nod your head if you understand what I'm saying. I, it makes sense in my head what I'm saying. It's so easy to, to do those things without actually considering, is that where Jesus is leading me? I, I was just struck this week with how many things I do without really acknowledging God's presence or his counsel in my life. As if my life is my own. As if, like, I have my own, I have right to do whatever I want because, well, it's my day off, so I'll just do whatever I want. Actually, you were bought with a price. Actually, you were created by him. Actually, you were created for him. Actually, every resource that you have that you think you've earned on your own has actually been give to, given to you by him. So therefore, you're not your own. And therefore, you don't have the right to pursue the American dream. You don't. Apart from seeking out the counsel of God, you don't. The problem is, it's not just that we have an aspiration of Christ. We have an aspiration of Christ, but then we have all these other aspirations. So it's Christ and other things. That's, that's the issue. That's why we're talking about Christ alone. Because for most of us, it isn't Christ alone. It's Christ and all the things I like to do and want to do and want to accomplish and want people to see me as being the best in and fill in the blank for you. So what about your hobbies of pleasure and leisure? Those are fun, man. Shooting, killing things, right? Deer. Make that clear. Hunting season. <laughs> we got these hobbies. We love to watch football, man. We love to... Go do all the things, man. We got to blow some steam off. Enjoy our... There's nothing wrong with that, right? Like, I'd, amen and amen. God's created those as opportunities for us to enjoy them. But are they things that dominate our life so we don't end up showing up on Sunday morning because we got to go be in the, the blind? Oh, man, Derek, you're touching my precious things. I know, I'm sorry. What about our time, our comfort, our money, our kids, our spouse, our resources? Have we really surrendered that stuff to him? Do we surrender? This isn't like a one-time guarantee all things. It's a, it's a daily thing. It's a daily interaction with the Lord where we say, God, today, help me to surrender this area of my life because I'm selfish. And I recognize how selfish I am. And I recognize how I want to fill myself with something other than what you want to fill me with. What about our... Um, our bodies. Have we surrendered our bodies to the Lord? 
This one could get a little touchy. Are unhealthy habits, gluttony, apathy. Is it okay that we're the fattest nation in the world? Well, we're going to get a new body anyways, Derek. This is temple. We're going to be somewhere else. Right, so it's cool that we stick ourselves full of pie and chocolate. Right, it's okay. I don't know, man. Like, I, that was convicting for me six months ago, which is why, like, I'm like, I'm not allowed to live like a fat slob. I'm not. I, I may be offensive. I'm sorry. Do you belong to you or not? Or does, do you belong to Christ? Then everything of you belongs to Christ. So you have to be a good steward with what God has given you. You are required to be a good steward with what God has given you. Doesn't mean we worship what God has given us. Okay? It doesn't mean we take this and we say, I'm going to make everything about this. And it's just because then you're going the other direction. You're going the wrong direction. Have you surrendered everything, all of your resources, your mind, your heart, your body? God has a plan for you. He wants to use your body to represent him well. You can't do that if you're living an unhealthy lifestyle and you're laid up in the hospital because of your unhealthy choices. You can't. So what areas in your life would you say you haven't fully surrendered? I'm asking you again to be honest with, with yourself this morning and to say, yeah, maybe there's some things in my life I really have not surrendered to the Lord. If I'm going to claim this mantra of Christ alone in my life, there's some things I need to, I need to make right. And, and, you know, it starts today, and then tomorrow when you get up, you do it again. And the day after that, you, you do it again. And the following day, and next Sunday when we're here again, you get up and you say, Lord, help me this morning. Help me to surrender this area that I, I constantly want to take back. So if Jesus Christ is enough, then we will surrender every aspect of ourselves to him on a continual and daily basis. Third question, are you striving for obedience rather than convenience? Are you striving for obedience rather than convenience? Let's be honest. It's easier to do what is convenient in many areas of life. But if we're going to call him Lord, Lord, if we're going to call him Master, then obedience comes with that. Full obedience comes with that. Let's look at the example of Christ's obedience to the Father. John 5.30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So Jesus is making it very, very clear that he's from the Father, and he's going to do what the Father asks him to do. John 6.38, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Once again, Jesus communicates to all those around him, he came to do the will of the Father. That's why he was there. John 8, 26, I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. Once again, Jesus is sounding like a broken record. He has come to communicate the will of the Father. John 12, 49 through 50, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. We're picking up on a repetitive pattern here. Jesus came to earth on behalf 
of the will of the Father. And he came to communicate the message the Father had for humanity. Jesus was obedient to his Father. His relationship with the Father is a model for how our relationship should look with Christ. So, there's five things really that I would say that are important in regards to obedience. And Jesus modeled all of these. Obedience requires submission. If we're going to claim Christ alone, then we have to actually submit to his will. So if he says, um, I don't want you to experience sexual relationship unless it's with your spouse whom you're married to. That seems pretty clear cut. So obedience would be full submission to that commandment. I'm going to do it. I'm going to choose to honor that because that's what he's laid out for me. I would say that area in particular, and, and not to get on a separate soapbox, but that area in particular, our Christian culture has taken and thrown it in the garbage as if it means nothing, as if Christ will simply turn a blind eye to my, um, that lifestyle, living that way. Like, I'm, I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. I'm just saying, like, it's a big deal. Like, it is a big deal. If Jesus has asked us to live a certain way, like, it's a big deal to obey him. Obedience requires love. I was thinking about this, and I wrote it down. I thought, is that always true? Like, my kids obey me, but I can tell there's not love in their eyes sometimes. <laughs> Like, it's, it's definitely a fear of, you're going to get beat in the name of the Lord if you don't do this. So sometimes it requires obligation by my children. But no, in this sense, if Jesus is our model, do you think Jesus did anything out of obligation? Okay, Father, I guess I'll do it. No, man. He was like, I love my Father. I want to honor him. Really, guys, obedience, like, our obedience to the Lord should be motivated out of a genuine love for him. Not out of a slavish, like, oh, I better do what he says. This, man, I'm motivated because I love him, because he loves me, because of what he's done for me. He's shown me his wor worthiness. So obedience ought to be something that I, I intentionally want to pursue because I know how much he loves me. And that I know, I know that when he says something, the reason why he's saying it is because he's trying to help me I mean, it's just, I tell my kids this all the time. I'm telling you this because I'm trying to help you. I really am in your favor. It's not just to conceal and keep things from you so that you can't have as much fun in life. It really is to bless you. And Jesus always, always, always does things with our best interest in mind. He always does. Because he really, really wants to bring about the glory of himself and his Father in our life. Always. Obedience requires a spirit of self-controlled uh, behavior. Jesus obviously demonstrated self-control. Obedience requires trust, as I just mentioned. Trust that I can, I can guarantee on God's character. I can guarantee that what Jesus has asked me to do when he says, I don't want you to do this, or I do want you to do this, it's because he has something he's trying to accomplish in my life. Even if I cannot see behind the veil of what that is, there is something he's trying to do in my life. And so I trust him. I trust that he's good. Even in the midst of tragedy. 
even in the midst of things that are not fun to go through, I will choose to say Christ alone. If you don't, what else do you have? What's the alternative if you don't? You, can, you have to come up with a good answer for that. Otherwise, it's Christ alone. And I'm going to trust you thick and thin, regardless of the outcome. And obedience requires personal communi- uh, uh, communion. excuse me, And we see this so clearly in the life of Christ. Jesus would take time away from the crowds, away from his disciples, and he would spend time with his Father. And when he'd spend time with his Father, he would commune with his Father. He would connect with his Father. And I would, I would say, I would propose that obedience is so much easier when we are actually communing with Christ. When you're present, I'll just be honest, my kids obey better when they're with me than when they're, when they're not. Okay? It's just a fact, man. They do. When they're with me, things are a little bit better. When we commune with Christ and we see his heart and he, he opens his, his word up to us and we understand what he wants for us, man, there inside of you grows a love and a desire to be consistently obedient to what he's called you to do. But when we walk away from him, when we're wandering, when we don't take time to commune with him, to spend time in his word, which the the scripture says the word is alive and active. It changes us. When we deny ourselves of that, the temptation and the opportunity to walk away and to be so much more frivolous in our decisions and so much more disobedient and so much more um, willing to give in to certain temptations, it's there. It's, it's, it's like the idea of if Jesus is the light and he's the, the source of heat, why are we wandering around in, in cold darkness when we know where the source is at and we know how to be fulfilled, but, but we wander out here and we stay in the fringes? Jesus demonstrated all of these with perfection in his relationship with the Father, and this is a model, once again, for us. Uh, to have with Jesus himself. So honest evaluation in your own life. Are there areas in your life right now that you'd say you're living in open disobedience in? That's a really, um, the word intrusive, that's like an intrusive question, right, for me to ask? Like, how dare you ask me if I'm living disobediently? You think this is church or something? Yeah, that's why you came, man. That's why you came. To have your, your heart pierced open with a hard question And you don't have to tell your neighbor, maybe tell your wife or your husband, I don't know, but you don't have to tell your neighbor, but you do have to go before the Lord and say, man, Lord, I am definitely not living like you asked me to. This is an area of my life that I am not being obedient in. And I know it's not right, and I've been running and running and running. I claim Christ alone, I claim Christ alone. The evidence of my life does not show that. It's time to stop running. It's time to be honest. Because you know what? Because of the perfection in the character of Christ, he will receive you back. It's not something you have to come groveling for him for. He loves you and he wants a relationship with you and if you've been living in a way that's um, disobedient to the Lord, number one, he knows, but number two, he loves and he has grace for you. Well, consider David's prayer. If uh, maybe you're wrestling through this morning some things that you know you need to make right with the Lord. Psalm 139, 24 says, See if there's any offensive way in me, Lord, and lead me in the way everlasting. Man, when we're honest enough to ask God that question, Jesus, is there something in my life that's not right? 
Jesus is like, oh, an open invitation? Okay. Oh, sit down. We got a lot to talk about. I'll tell you all the things that are wrong. <laughs> Man, Jesus would love nothing more than to come into your life and say, let's clean this up. Let's, let's get rid of this. Let's renew this relationship. Let's truly make it Christ alone and trim all the other stuff off and just make it about him and him only. If Jesus is enough, we will, uh, we will strive to obey his every word. All right, final question. Do you find fulfillment in Jesus Christ alone? Do you find fulfillment in Jesus Christ alone? So this one is probably one of the most practical ones that... Um, I was working through my own life and thinking through, and I thought, man, there's a lot of areas in life that we find fulfillment in other than Christ, okay? So I'm going to talk about some of them and potentially offend some of you as I mention them. Not intentionally. I'm not trying to offend you, but it might happen. So do you try to find your fulfillment outside of Christ? Do you try to find it in other people, certain relationships? Um wanting to be close with certain people, wanting to have a certain reputation with certain people, wanting certain people to perceive you a certain way. You try to have um, fulfillment in possessions. I used this illustration earlier in the, the first service, and it's true. Um, when I was 22, my dad gave me part of uh, the little, in, little amount of money he had set aside for me when I got married, which is it's cool that he did that to begin with. I'm not complaining, Dad, if you watch this online. Uh, but he gave me some money. I really wanted to buy a, t a truck, a pickup truck. And some of you that have known me a long time, you remember the truck. In fact, where's Mark Rossin at? Mark Rossin remembers the truck. Okay, and I'll tell you why in just a minute. So, so there's this truck for sale in Osego, Michigan. It was an 83 Chevy, uh, long box, and it was on a 4-inch uh, lift kit with 32.5-inch by 11-inch kind of somewhat knobby, not super knobby tires, Mark, but a little bit of knobby. And I was like, I want that truck. I need that truck. It will instantly make me grow hair on my chest if I have that truck. <laughs> but the best part of it, it was those, those flare pipes that came out the back. You remember those three-inch flare pipes, Mark? Chrome and shiny and the blah, 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 blah. I mean, if you're not into trucks, you're like, dude, you're weird. You're right. Like, I, it was cool. Like, in fact, Mark and I, we were buddies back then, and we were into trucks. Like, it was cool, man. It was cool. I took that truck that I paid $5,000 for. And I went and put a $6,000 paint job on it. And then I sold it to Mark Rossin for $3,000. <laughs> and I still have bitterness about it. I'm just kidding. Um, it's funny, though. I still see Jake's got that truck now, and he drives it all over the place, man. Every time we drive past it, I'm like, kids, that's my truck. They're like, Dad, you told us. We don't care about your stupid truck. <laughs> Which is my point. It's a possession. And I wish I could get a picture, had the picture of what it used to look like and what it looks like now that Jake's driving it. It looks like to, that, a Mater character off the cars. <laughs> Somebody done not treat it good. It was, it's bad. It's in bad shape. It's a possession. Come on. That's what you're living for? Is that where you find fulfillment? In your boat, in your camper, in your cabin up north, in your awesome house? That's so stupid. I, my, we tell my daughter not to say that word. That's probably why she says it all the time. That's stupid. But it is. It's dumb. It's foolishness, right? Any other aspiration that we live for, that we try to replace Christ with, is stupid. It's silly. 
We try to find fulfillment in events and vacations and shopping trips. I said earlier, shopping trips to Ikea, right? Okay, shopping trips to Ikea, right? Get that Swedish-made garbage falls apart after a week of using it. What a bunch of garbage. Boy, that's a... Those guys are just laughing their heads off. Stupid Americans, ah, buying this garbage. What a bunch of... We're dumb. But that's what we try to find fulfillment in. I want to go spend money today. Why? I don't know, because I'm an American, and I can. And it makes me feel good. I feel happy when I spend money. Oh, my goodness, man. If that's it, we're, we're missing the boat, man. If that's where we find fulfillment. What about, like, uh, what about your spouse or your family? Um, our son started playing football this year. And uh, it's been a little bit of an adventure. Because I'm a soccer guy. I grew up playing soccer. I have more of a build of a soccer player. And uh, so Jax, he played soccer for a couple of years, and uh, he kept kicking people in the face. And I'm not exaggerating. I'm like, Jax, dude, that, that's, that's not soccer. It's closer to football. It's still not football, but it's good. Well, I want to play football then. Okay, so we play football. So the first couple of weeks, it was like him chasing butterflies. You know, like, get down, get on the line, pay attention. And like week three, he got it. Something clicked in his brain. Something clicked in his brain and he got it. He's busting through the line and tackling the quarterback. And, and I'm like swelling. Fulfillment in my future linebacking son. <laughs> With this body figure, of course, in the skinny jeans. <laughs> There's probably not a lot of hope for my son making it to the NFL. But it's that all of a sudden now, these little things that really God has intended as moments of joy, not moments that I find all and derive all of my satisfaction out of. It's fun to watch our kids, man. It's fun to watch them do well. It's fun to watch them mess up. It's fun to laugh at them. Let's be honest. It's hilarious. It's, it's good for them. Builds character. That's what my dad always said, and he's still laughing at me today. But, man, the sun doesn't revolve around your stinking kid. It revolves around Christ. It does. It really does. It really does revolve around Christ. It's great to be good at stuff. It's great to see our kids succeed. It's great to, to have fulfillment and find a level of satisfaction in our spouse. God, I believe, intended that relationship to, to have it be that way. But it's not the source for fulfillment. Is Jesus really the true source of fulfillment? What about in your career, your bank account? What about in just, uh, you know, that person always is right? They're always right? I'm always right. I, that person drives me crazy. Sometimes I'm that person. My wife tells me that. Sometimes I'm that person. What about seeing your team do well? That's silly. Last week, Michigan, Michigan State, and all the ridiculous arguments on Facebook of people that I know on both sides who are Christians but act like absolute fools. Well, our defense is wrong. Shut up, man. Like, it's a stupid football game. And, and I am, or I should say, I was. I've really tried to let that go, man. But I said earlier in the first service, I said, if you could see me two years ago and you could have got a peek into my window watching me watch the stupid Chicago Bears play, <laughs> yeah, you'd laugh. <laughs> man, I lose my mind over a football game of people that don't even know I exist. And they could care less if they win because they already got a contract for millions of dollars. And here I am, angry and throwing stuff and kicking the dog and punching people. Who cares? Seriously. 
we got to draw this to a close. If that is where I find fulfillment, and some of you ladies are like, you're right, that is stupid. Yeah, but you have your things too. You know, how do people perceive me on Facebook? Am I the best mom ever? No, you're probably not. And it's okay. It, you know what? Because no one really cares. Nobody really cares. So, so stop trying to find fulfillment in stuff that really doesn't matter. Is Jesus enough? Is he enough so that you'll find true satisfaction in him alone? We'll draw this to a close. Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 4, uh, says this. Long ago, many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son. He has appointed, uh, excuse, me, excuse me, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom all he has created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Uh, there's a couple things that this verse says about Jesus. It's important that you understand this and you get this before we leave today. It says Jesus is the heir of all things, which means all things belong to him. It says that he's made everything. It says that he provides and sustains everything. It's a, a dynamic relationship. Jesus is constantly providing for us. It's not one time. He's continually overseeing your life intimately and providing for you. And he has made restoration for all things. So if this, is the, if this is the Jesus we believe in, the Jesus Christ alone we believe in, then these things ought to be true for us. Jesus is enough even in times of temptation. Jesus is enough even in times of tragedy. Jesus is enough in times of poverty. Jesus is enough in times of betrayal. Jesus is enough in times of abandonment. Jesus is enough even in times of natural disaster. Jesus is enough in times of heartbreak. Jesus is enough even in prosperity. Jesus is enough when you win. Jesus is enough when you lose. Jesus is even enough when you're disappointed with the outcome. Jesus is enough when you fail. Jesus is definitely enough when you succeed. And Jesus is even enough when you are suffering. Jesus is simply enough. Have you found Jesus to be enough for you? Have you really found him to be enough for you? That is my prayer. That today we take a step closer to the personhood of Christ himself and we find that he truly satisfies our souls.